I know many of you work and you can't, but if you're able to, just see me or Angela and let us know. Proverbs chapter 22 in your Bibles this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verse 6. We're going to read it twice. And we'll read it out loud and in unison. Here we go. Ready? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. One more time. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The title of my sermon this morning is simply this. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. Let's pray. God, I do ask today that you help us as we look at your word and try to consider it and understand it. Lord, apply it to our lives. And God, the sermon today, by and large, will be a parenting sermon, but many, many applications can be made to grandparents and, Lord, even into other relationships around us. So, Lord, I pray everyone would walk away with something that will better their relationships. And, Lord, we're thankful for you, our Heavenly Father, who uh, not only created us, but, Lord, you care for us. You care for our every need. I'm reminded of the passage in, in the New Testament where you reminded us if if um, we being evil in comparison to you know how to love our children, how much more you must love us. And Lord, I'm thankful that every day you look down upon us and you rain your blessings on us. And on this Father's Day, we, we honor the ultimate Father, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray now as we turn our time and our attention to the message, Lord, uh, may your wor- the words that are in Scripture, may these truths resonate in our hearts and may we leave and carry them with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. About a decade ago, in a Time magazine issue, former President George Bush said this. He said, our biggest national danger is the disintegration of the family. The disintegration of the family. Others have said things like this. The unmet need of our children are from foreign enemies. From foreign enemies. Um, Social analysts are calling for a cultural renewal in our culture. You look around at the family unit today, and by and large, it is broken. And as the family unit goes, so does the country. So does the people. If you want to tear apart a country, tear it apart on the most base level, tear it apart where, uh, tear, tear the homes themselves apart. The face of America is changing today, and really, in a lot of ways, has Changed. American Demographics Magazine back in 1995 said this, There is no such thing as a typical American family. Nothing in America is typical anymore. Back, if you watch shows like Father Knows Best or Leave It to Beaver, uh, what you find is you have a dad, you have a biological dad, you have a biological mom, and then you have the kids that were birthed from that marriage and that relationship. And that was the prototypical, stereotypical home. But in today's day and age, you have a lot of step-parents and half-brothers and sisters and step-brothers and sisters. And listen, I'm not here to step, if you will, on those relationships. Some of you here today might be in a relationship of that sort. And it isn't so much as to uh, to shame you or to make you feel bad about that. But it is to say this, why don't we try to raise a generation of kids that decide they're going to be married to one man or one woman for life, and they're going to have children from that format. 
I think that that ought to be our goal as parents, regardless of how you've gotten to where you're at right now, that ought to be your goal in how you train and raise up those children. I think you ought to use your own life as an example of, I've made some mistakes along the way, here's how not to do it, let me teach you how to do it. There are approximately 330 million people that live in the U.S., According to statistics, 25% of households have only one adult in the household. Another 26% on top of the 25, another 26% of homes have children that live within them. Many of these homes, the children receive very little time with both a mother and a father figure on a regular basis. Many of these children have been labeled as latchkey children. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, Latch key children. Uh, mom, uh, mom is raising the children or dad's raising the children or maybe both mom and dad are at work and so you give that preteen or that teenager a key to the house and they let themselves in the house. What happens when you give a child time and no supervision? I can tell you what happens. Nothing good. Nothing good. They always find their way into trouble. You say this morning, but I trust my children. And I say the Bible says that you're not even to trust yourself. What are you doing trusting your children? Don't make that mistake. Uh, I'm here today to say that I am standing up for the traditional home. I'm standing up for it. And you may not be part of it, and I love you and the circumstances that you're in, and I'm here to support you and help you fight and battle and get through the circumstances you're in. We, I know we have some single mothers in our church that are doing their best to raise those children the best they can and provide everything they can for them. And uh, there are some dads here that raise children by themselves, and they battle to get through that. And, and I'm here to support you and help you along the way. But I just have to say, there's nothing like having a mom and a dad in a home that can equally invest in a child. Amen? There's nothing like that. God designed it that way. God set it up like that on purpose. God wants the dad to be there to teach the little boy to be tough and, 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 to, and to have a companionship with the daughter and, and, and be there to court that daughter and love that daughter. God created the, the mom in a home to teach his son how to be tender and compassionate and loving and caring toward others and to be balanced in that way. He, he put a mother in the home to teach the daughter how so that she can be a homemaker and she can uh, uh, be tender and compassionate and kind and, and, and a care soul. God put the mother in the home to instill character into the children and be there day in and day out to, to show that to them. And in a the setup that God created in His perfect will, the dad and the mom play an equal role in the life of a child. One is not more important than the other. They both play an equal role. In our home, if Matthew or April gets hurt and they need compassion, guess where they don't come? They don't come to Daffy Duck. They go to they go to Bugs Bunny over here. No, I'm just teasing. Um, they they go to Angela and Angela. Look, I'm just amazed at how well Angela is able to dote over these kids when they're hurt. She gets down on a knee and the amount of compassion that just naturally pours from her soul. Me, I'm like kick some dirt in it and quit your crying, boy. Toughen up a little bit, you know. But you know what? Both are needed in a home. Uh, uh, we we live in a day where boys are growing up to be very effeminate. 
And girls are growing up to be very masculine. And society is pushing boys toward the middle and, and beyond to act like girls and pushing girls past the middle to act like boys. And you say, well, that's just because they were born that way. And I say, no, it isn't because they were born that way. It's because they've been born into a culture that's pushing them to act against how they're supposed to behave. Listen, I'm just a, you can call me an old timer, you can call me a fogey, I might be young and you might think, well you're young, but you've got opinions that are old and outdated. I don't think they're outdated because the Bible is timeless and they line up with the Word of God. Listen, you are to have boys that grow up and act like men, you're to have girls that grow up and act like girls. And we need to work to train our children to be that way. God created the perfect setup of having both a mom and a dad in the home to help make sure that that child has that balance. I think of a preacher of old time who did not have a father in his home growing up. He was raised by a single mother, and that mother knew she was what she was up against. In fact, the boy's dad was a drunk. He was a derelict, and uh, and left them and, and was very abusive when he lived there, but eventually left and, and left that mother to raise that little boy by himself. And she knew she that boy needed male influences that were good and godly in his life. So what did she do? She got involved in a church and she found some good men in that church and made sure her son was able to spend quality time around good men who could step in in an absent father and, and play that role and help raise that child. And I'm here today to tell you that if you're raising your children and you're a single parent, or you need to make sure that you're finding a way to get that other one investing, uh, that other role invested into their lives. Notice the, the uh, verse there, Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child. Guess what it takes if you're going to train up a child? It takes a lot of things, but mainly it takes T-I-M-E. Your children don't train themselves up. You've got to train them up and you have got to make a time investment in them. A very, very heavy time investment in them. Uh, by, by way of introduction, really set the table for the sermon this morning. Will you turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 with me? We're going to be all over the Bible. Uh, you can leave Proverbs alone. We're, we're not going to go back there from this point forward. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. This is a common verse that you see in the Word of God. Uh, and rather here talked about. But uh, I, I want to maybe look at a part of the verse that doesn't get looked at quite as much on a regular basis. Look at verse 4 there. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. What's that next word? Can we read it out loud together? But. Now that is a con- conjunction, and that is a pivot word. Okay? This word, this, the next part of the verse is going to explain why Children are provoked to wrath. Or, in the absence of what's about to be explained, children are provoked to wrath. Let's look at it again. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, in contrast, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You've got to nurture fathers. You've got to nurture your children. You've got to admonish your children. Nurture is that enjoyable quality investment of time that you put into them regularly and that admonition is correcting them when they're out of line. There's got to be that relationship, that nurturing. There has to be that those rules, that admonishing, and they both play an equal part. And guess what? If you're not nurturing and you're not admonishing your children, then you're going to in turn provoke 
your children to live in wrath or a wrathful lifestyle today. So, if you're here today and you don't have that perfect home set up, here's my challenge to you. Make the best of what you have. Make the best of what you have. Get yourself, get, if you're a single dad raising children, make sure you find a way to have your children around godly ladies that can make a difference in their life. If you're here today and you're a single mother, that's more common, but a single mother and you're raising children, do everything you can, everything you can to get your boys or your girls, get them around uh, uh, other couples that can help make that investment in their life and show them. Some of you here today, you have the perfect home set up and the challenge to you is this. Are you investing the time into your children that you ought to? By the way, investing time in your children doesn't mean watching TV together. It doesn't mean looking at your phone while they're running around the living room. Okay? Investing time means that you're down on the floor like Brother Jason back here playing Barbie houses with your child. Right? I have to ask you, Brother Jason... She said that you play with your Barbie houses. Do you have your own Barbie house? Okay, so you have your own Barbie house off to the side. Okay, that's that feminism we were talking about earlier. You need to get down here at the end of the service and get that right. Teasing you there. This morning I propose that if our children are to grow up and love us and love their Heavenly Father, then we must invest in them. We must invest T-I-M-E. We must make a wise time investment. On this Father's Day, let's consider three actions that will help us show love to our children and it will help us to provide that nurture and admonition so that we will honor, they will honor us and honor their Heavenly Father. Let me give you three actions. Action number one is this. We must provide restraint. We must provide restraint. And this would fall under that admonition of Ephesians 6. Turn with me over uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 1 in your Bibles this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 10. By the way, if you work with children and you're not a parent, the sermon will apply to you today. Uh, And there will be other parts of the sermon today that will apply to you if you're not a parent or you have anything to do with children. Just hang on. Just, just, Just hang tight. We'll get to that in a few minutes. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 10, the Bible says there, well let me give you the backstory here, Hannah, this, is, this story is about uh, Hannah, uh, who would be mother to Samuel, Hannah at this point did not have a baby, God had closed her womb, Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, one was named Hannah, I believe the other was named Penina, and uh, Penina had children, and Hannah didn't, and uh, uh, Penina was not kind about it. Penina would rub this fact in Hannah's face. Uh, My husband's given me children, and he's not given you children. He loves me more than he loves you. And Hannah was very tore up about this, as is the case with every, or most every woman. There was a desire built instinctively in her heart to want to be a mother, and God, for whatever reason, had shut up Hannah's womb and prevented her from having a baby. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, And she was in bitterness and soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord 
all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor upon his head. Notice here that Hannah was in the temple. She was praying before God. She was fasting. She was skipping food. And she was in bitterness of soul. And here she threw herself down on the on the, uh, the floor there of the temple. And she's weeping and crying. And Eli the priest comes out. And he looks at her and he thinks she's drunk. It was a, it was a feast time. Uh, sort of a party atmosphere. And he thinks she's drunk. And he comes in and he, he gets on her for, for drinking. And he says, no, my Lord, I'm not drinking. I'm, I'm just bitter in my soul because I want God to give me a child. And, and Eli looks down at Hannah and says, Get up and, and wash your face. Get yourself cleaned up because God's going to answer your prayer. You don't need to weep any longer. Sure enough, God looked down at Hannah's heart and he saw that she was serious. And, and Hannah, Hannah had a baby. God opened Hannah's womb and allowed her to have a baby. Look down at verse number 23 with me. First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 23, the Bible says, And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord established his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. The day came where it was time for them to go back to Jerusalem for one of the uh, feasts. And Hannah looked at Elkanah and said, Listen, I can't go. Our baby is little and I need to be there to nurture him and love on him and nurse him. And so leave me behind so I can spend good quality time with our son and make that time investment in him. And Elkanah said, very well, you stay behind and take care of him. So uh, 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 Hannah loved on uh, Samuel, invested in Samuel, uh, spoke to Samuel, no doubt read scriptures to Samuel. And the day came where he was weaned and as a young man, she took him to the temple and she followed Followed through on her promise to give him to the Lord. She left him there so Eli could raise him. Look down at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 18. And I'm, I'm laying the groundwork to make a larger point here. Look at me, look with me at uh, verse number 18. It says there, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Let me just say this morning, there is not a father and a mother here today that would not like their child to be like Samuel. You say, well, well, Samuel was a minister of the Lord. Samuel was a man of God and, and I don't want my child to be a man of God. I want my child to be something great. Listen, you can't be any more great uh, than Samuel was during his time. You, you realize that some people say, well, I want my children to be famous. You realize Samuel lived 4,000 years ago and we're still talking about him today? I'd say he was pretty famous. Some say, well, I want my children to make a political impact in this dark world. Do you know that there was not one figure during Samuel's lifetime that made a greater political impact than Samuel did? And he did it as a man of God serving God. Hannah gave her child over to the Lord and said, I want my child to serve him. And guess what? He did just that. Why? In part because there were some restraints that were put around Samuel in his Raising. Now, let's contrast Samuel with Samuel's uh, adopted brothers that were in his family. Look down with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 12. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Now the sons of Eli, the Bible says, were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They were sons of Belial. Another way to sum up this verse would be this. Eli's sons worshipped Satan. 
Eli's sons worshipped Satan. They were sons of the devil or sons of Belial. Let me say this morning that you need to pray for your pastoral staff and their families because Eli, as a minister of the Lord, had a target on his back and Satan hit him right in the middle of that bullseye and dropped Eli by getting to his children. Uh, Satan would love nothing more than to bring your pastor down, to bring the assistant pastors down. And if he can't get directly to the pastor, he'll go to their wives. If he can't get to the wives, he'll go after their children. He'll do anything he can to discredit them. And I would say this morning is pray for your pastoral staff. I know many of you do, and we covet those prayers. Let me say as well this morning to all of you here today, don't get so busy doing the work of the Lord that you let your children go to the devil. Let me just tell you a trend I have seen, and I don't so much see it in this church, so this would be preventative maintenance type preaching, but I have seen this pattern in other churches where somebody goes gung-ho for Jesus. They're gung-ho for the Lord, and they live at the church house every chance they get. They do their 8-4, to their 9-5 to job, and it's to the church to do this, and to the church to do that. And listen, I think you ought to be involved here. I want you involved here. I push you to be involved here, but don't be so involved here that you let the, your children go to the devil. I think of a, the, a pa, the pastor of the church where I got saved. He uh, pastored there for 40 years and was a great man of God, did an incredible work. His name was uh, C.R. Williams or Charles Williams. Uh, 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 pastor Williams uh, uh, probably put in 60 to 80 hours a week. He was a, uh, a farm boy growing up from way back in the early 1900s. He's, he's been dead for quite some time now and he died in his old age. He was born early, early 1900s, grew up through the Depression, and he, he grew up on a farm, and he would wake up at 4.30 in the morning as a kid, sometimes 4 in the morning, and that never changed his whole life. He was up by 4, 4.30 every morning, and in the office by 4.30 or 5, and he would stay till 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night, and he gave his entire self to grow that church. And I watched uh, as uh, his grandson, who was just a couple grades ahead of me, I watched as his grandson was just rebellious and, and not a good young man. And then I knew his father, the, the grandson's father, the pastor's son, who was just living in the world and just away from God, wayward from the Lord. And you say, well, why did that happen? Well, I don't know all the reasons, but I knew in part it was because the dad was so wrapped up in church that he didn't raise his family right. He wasn't there to provide restraints. Some of you, it's not church. Some of you, it's work. You're so wrapped up in your work that you're not there for your kids. And i got to say that when you die, no one's going to remember what you did for a living or where you worked. But your legacy will live on through your children. What kind of investment are you making in your children so that your legacy can be left in a positive way? Listen, I would rather live in a cardboard box and have children that love me and their mother and are growing up to do right than to live in a mansion and have my children go the way of the devil. And that ought to be your attitude today. Here we see that Eli's sons, they were sons of Belial. Let's look and see how wicked they really were. Look down with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 16. Speaking of their sons, the Bible says, And if any man said unto him, this is speaking him being the, the, one of the two sons, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, uh, that he would answer him, Nay, but uh, thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred 
the offering of the Lord. What was going on here? The way the priest family was fed is that the sacrifices, the bullocks and various animals were brought uh, there to uh, be, be offered up on the brazen altar and certain of the sacrifices would be put down into a cauldron or a large pot and they would be boiled much like you would cook a roast or maybe even some of you ladies have a roast going in the crock pot at home. Similar setup. And once the meat was tender and cooked, they would take a meat hook or a fork and they would deep da- uh, go down into the pot, the boiling water, and whatever the, the meat hook brought up, they would put it on the plate and that was what they would eat. These boys, these boys had grown so wicked in their imagination and in their hearts that they did not want to eat tender meat, they wanted to eat raw, bloody meat. And so they would tell them, as soon as the, 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 the meat hit the water, go down and get it before it's even cooked. We want to eat it raw. And they would sit there and they would eat this raw meat in front of those that were bringing in their offerings. And the Bible says that the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You say, how wicked were these boys? Another passage here, uh, or another a set of verses here in 1 Samuel we won't look at, talks about how they would gather up the girls that were waiting on the, the steps of the temple and they would defile them with by doing lewd acts. They would commit lewd, sinful, lascivious acts with these girls and they were supposed to be the upcoming priests. Now, why was it that Samuel was so well behaved And these boys were so wicked. The Bible tells us why. Look down at 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 11. You may remember the story where Samuel, God calls Samuel three times and and first, a couple times he goes to Eli, finally uh, uh, he tells him, he says, you know, it's the Lord calling you. And when the Lord spoke to, to Samuel, this is what he said. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him, watch this, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. Why? Because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Eli, you're just as guilty as your sons are in their sin. Why? Because you restrained them not. Parents, let me say to you this morning that you have a responsibility to lay down rules in your house and to enforce those rules. You've got to enforce rules. We live in a day and time where parents are more consumed with being their child's friend than they are being uh, uh, being in charge and having a setup of rules and a list of do's and don'ts. And this morning I'm here to tell you that your children need you to have rules for them and consequences when they're broken. You know, um, if you have rules and they're enforced in a way that is consistent and regular... Your children can find order and happiness inside the boundary of those rules. The problem with many parents is that they have restraints, but the rules change according to the mood of the parent. You're in a good mood, and so you let your kids get away with a little bit more on Monday. Tuesday, you wake up in a bad mood, and man, you you, you pop them right away. And parents, listen, it's got to be consistent. It's got to be consistent. You gotta have those restraints. They gotta be in the sand, or rather not, not, not a line in the sand, a line in concrete. This is where the line is, and if you cross it, there's gonna be consequences. You know, nobody gets frustrated with the referee of a basketball game when he blows his whistle for a foul that's committed or when someone steps out of bounds. 
All right, I, I coached basketball for a few years, and I can remember uh, uh, coaching and uh, the ball. You, you, you know, we we were a lower end uh, competitive school, so we'd get the referees right out of school, right? And and they were getting their hours in with us, and they weren't always very good. Sometimes we get good refs, but oftentimes we didn't. And I would oftentimes standing on the sideline there as a coach, I'd watch the player step out of bounds with the ball, or the ball would hit the line, and the ref wouldn't blow the whistle. And I'm thinking. Blow the whistle! And you know what? When my team stepped out of bounds and the whistle didn't get blown, I wasn't quite as bothered, but I kind of, it did kind of discredit that ref. You know, when you, when you step, when your child steps out of bounds and you don't blow the whistle, your children, you're discredited in the eyes of your children. Furthermore, when your children step out of bounds and you, you blow the whistle and you punish, your children expect you to do that. You've got to provide Restraints. You've got to provide restraints. Point number one, or action number one, was provide restraints. Action number two, uh, we've got to provide resources. Provide resources. You know, in order to get through life, there are some tools for living. Tools for living. And picture it as though you have a tool bag or a toolbox, and inside that toolbox uh, are all the resources you need to train up a child in the way he should go. Uh, Thursday, we did the final walkthrough of our home uh, that that we, we, we've now purchased. And on the way home, it was drizzling out. It was raining out. We stopped at Home Depot. We, we got the paint and some supplies we needed to paint. And it was starting to get, uh, it was just beyond dusk. It had just gotten dark outside. I guess it was probably about 8.30, 8.40 at night. And uh, we rode up. We, we, were, we were riding on our way home. We got about a block or two from the house. And, and I, I see in the headlights this futon that's sitting on the side of the road. And it was a very nice food time. There was nothing wrong with it. And I, I pretended like I didn't see it. And I was praying Angela didn't see it. But Angela saw it. She said, what was that? Can, can we turn around? And so we, we, we ewed around. And, and, uh, and I'm, you know, oh, it probably isn't very nice. And it's probably broken. And, and so we both get out. And it's, it's misting out. It's drizzling out a little bit. And, and sure enough, there's nothing wrong with it. It's wet, but it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's missing the cushions. But outside of that, it was just a beautiful piece of furniture. And, and she's like, oh, I have a perfect place. We can put that in the house. Do you, do you think you can, do you think you can get it home? And you know, I'm by myself. I don't really have another man to help me pick this up. And, and I said to her, sure, sweetheart, anything for you. So I took the kids home. I took them all home and I came back. And I laid down the back seats, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to finagle this thing. i got cars flying past me, and I'm trying to finagle this thing and, and push it into the back of the SUV. It's wet, it's raining, it's humid out, and, and it's just about an inch too tall. Maybe a half inch too tall. And I'm pushing, and I'm shoving, and, and I'm watching the rubber seal begin to bend. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I better stop. And, and so I took it back out and I laid it on the ground, and I'm thinking, well, I, I really want my wife to be happy, and... And so I, I kind of I got my flashlight out on my phone, and I'm looking at how it's set up, and I'm thinking, okay, well, it's just a couple of hex key screws. I can take these out. I can get one side of it off. I can slide it in the back, and everything's great. So I went on home. I got my hex key set, and and I came back, and and I took and I took and I stuck the hex key in, and I begin to spin it, and nothing's happening. It's not moving. And so I get my flashlight out and I'm investigating and sure enough there's a bolt holding the hex key on in the back. And so thinking I'm the Incredible Hulk, finding out I'm really just Daffy Duck, um, 
I took, uh, I took my fingers and I put it on the bolt. I'm thinking, ah, I can hold this. and It's just spinning away. I'm not getting anywhere. And I'm getting wet. I'm getting rained on. And, and so I run on home and I get my, my wrench set. And I come back and I get all the hex keys out. And, and then I go to pull it off and it's not coming off. And I'm thinking, oh my. Now what? So after a little bit more investigating, there's two screws that's still holding it in. And so... I thought, oh, I gotta go back home and I gotta get a screwdriver. And I thought, but wait, I have that multi tool we're giving out in church on Sunday. So I reach in my wallet and I pull out the multi tool, there's mine there, and all it has is a flathead screwdriver on it. And so I stick it down in there and it's just not working and I'm like, oh my. So back home I go, I get a Phillips head screwdriver and, uh, and just, you know what, when you have the right tools, the job is really easy. Popped right off. I slid it right in the back of the vehicle. I got it home. I walked it down the hill, put it in our, in our basement, and, and there it was. You know, when I didn't have the right tools, the job seemed impossible. Couldn't be done. But when I went and slowly gathered the right tools, things just, it just came right along. How many of you here ever tried to do a job and you just didn't have the right tools and you found yourself very frustrated? the VARs back there with both hands up. He's a construction guy. He knows all about that. Can I tell you today the reason why most parents are baffled and confused and lost in parenting is they don't have the right parenting tools in their bag. They don't have the right resources. Our society, our culture has slowly stripped away the right resources and now we're trying to raise children and we're trying to use we're trying to use a wrench in the place of a hammer. We're trying to use a, a multi-tool credit card in the place of a, of a Phillips head screwdriver. We're trying to do things through uh, psychology and secular thinking. Parenting is a spiritual job. You've got to have spiritual tools. Let me quickly give you three tools you need in your bag as resources if you're going to raise children the right way. Letter A, notice the Bible. The Bible. You say, oh, pastor, that one's obvious. If it's so obvious, then I don't understand why more people aren't doing it. Look with me at, uh, turn with me, if you will, over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. And see how that Timothy, the young man who grew up to be a fine pastor there in the era of the early church, Timothy here would do uh, something great, but there was a reason why he did something great. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. From a child, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He had been learning about the Bible since he was a little boy. Look, look back up one verse at verse 14. Paul admonishes Timothy, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Sadly, today in our culture, a majority of parents in this church here today, the single greatest influence on your child's life is television. Television. Can I say this morning that before television was invented, going back to the day before television was invented, the single greatest influence in the life of a child was the Bible. Was the greatest influence in our culture. Tell, as televisions have gotten bigger and better and with more options, the Bible has gone down and down and down in our home. 
oftentimes Matthew will come to me on a Saturday morning or uh, just maybe a Monday morning when I'm home and he'll say, can I watch TV? And you know what I started saying to him a while back? Have you read your Bible yet? And, and he goes, no. Now he's like, yep, I already read two chapters because he knows I'm going to ask him. And so uh, now that, that obstacle is taken out of the way. What am I teaching? The Bible is before all else. All else. The Bible is the most important thing today. Control the television before it controls your children. I'm going to take this a step further. Please listen closely, parents. And I say this with all the love and compassion in my voice as I can, but I say it firmly. If you cannot control the television, then throw it out the door. You cannot control the television, get rid of it. I think about Angela growing up and during the school year, her mom would take the TV and put it in the closet and they wouldn't have a TV for nine months. Why? Because that TV was not going to get between them and an education. And I'm here to tell you that beyond an education is your children's spirituality. Don't let the TV hinder your children's spirituality. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you believe that the more of the Bible that is in you, the better of a person you will be? Raise your hand if you believe that this morning. Hold them up there. Hold them up there. How many of you believe that this morning? If you Okay, put your hands down. If you really believe that, then why are we not pumping more Bible into our children? We really believe that the Bible, the more of it that's in a person, the better off they are. Then why are we not having our children memorize more Bible? Read more Bible. Study more Bible. Understand more Bible. Take your Bibles with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a passage we've looked at a few times since I've been your pastor over the last year. And it's a passage we'll look at regularly the entire time that I'm here. Because this passage right here really is the key to turning out a generation of kids who hold the Bible high and love the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 6. The Bible says there, And these words which I command thee this day uh, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And if you mark in your Bibles where you underline the words teach and diligently, teach and diligently, teach them diligently or thoroughly or with great detail unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates." On thy gates. What's Deuteronomy 6 teaching here? It's teaching that you're to hold the Bible high in your home. How many ladies enjoy decorating your house? Can I see your hand? Ladies, you enjoy decorating your house? Can I encourage you to do something? Use Bible verses when you decorate your house. Put, frame them up uh, uh, and then change up uh, the verses in there from time to time. Uh, you see the Bible verses that are on the wall in our church. Those are adhesive stickers you can buy online for pretty cheap. Get those and put those on the wall in your house and, and let the Bible be seen everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. How many of you here find it a problem that the Ten Commandments is not allowed to be in our public school? Can you raise your hand? You find that a problem? Don't raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you have them hanging on the wall in your home. Christians rant and rave how terrible it is that the Word of God has been thrown out of our public school and some of these same people don't even have the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall in their house. Listen, uh, let's not be hypocritical here. And not only have the Ten Commandments in our home, but abiding by them. Some people say, well, my child is too young 
to understand the Word of God. There was a seven-year-old washing her hands at school and her teacher says, let's get all the germy wormies off of our hands, boys and girls. One of the girls replies, you mean the microorganisms? Listen, our children can understand the Bible. They can comprehend the Bible. Letter A, we're talking about putting the right tools in our bag. Satan, through our culture, slowly over time has stripped the Bible out of the bag. And maybe that is a tool in your bag and maybe you just need to use it more. Letter B, notice the resource of prayer. Prayer. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19 says, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. There is a power to prayer that is totally unexplainable, totally incomprehensible. And when two people will get together and will agree on heaven about something, oh, the power that comes with that. Can I ask you a question? Do you pray? Do you talk to the Lord regularly? Do you have a set time in your schedule where you spend 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes in prayer or longer? Some of you say, I do. Angela's reading a book right now written to, to pastor's wives, and she was sharing a little bit of that with me on, my, on our way back from Maryland. And one of the stats she read is that 95% of pastors and their wives don't pray together. 95% of pastors and their wives don't pray together. If 95% of pastors aren't do it, how about you? You pray with your spouse? I can't think of a greater thing to pray for than to pray for your kids. Pray God turns them out. By the way, some of you here have adult children. They need prayer too. They need you to pray for them too. They need you to pray that they can stay on the right path. Yesterday my sister got married at Central Baptist in Southington and the pastor who did the wedding, Pastor Townsley, looked down at the parents and said, you've made an investment in their lives, now it's time to step back and let them live their own life. He said, the one thing you can do for him now is just pray. And i got to say, that's a powerful tool you have. Can I tell you today, Satan wants your children, whether they're little or they're old. You can go to spiritual warfare with them or for them, and you can pray for them. Don't just pray for your children. Pray with your children. Remember, as a, as a, as a young man, small boy, my mom would come in my room and she'd pray with me every night before I went to bed. My dad would occasionally, but it was more my mom that did that. I can remember I can remember when I was probably 9 or 10 years old, my mom came in my room one night and she said, Richard, I want you to begin praying for something. I want you to begin praying for your future spouse, your future wife. And I was like, Mom! And she said, no, seriously, do you know who you're going to marry someday? And I said, no, and I thought she was picking on me. She said, listen, I'm not picking on you, okay? I, I, this is serious. Do you know where your future spouse lives? And I said, I don't. And she said, why don't you pray that God keeps her pure? Why don't you pray that God keeps her safe? Why don't you pray that God invests in her so that she'll be everything you need her to be as your helpmeet one day? As a young man, I began to develop the habit of praying for my future wife. My mother came in my room every night and For a few years, I would lay there in bed, and that was one of the many things I'd pray with her before I'd go to sleep. The day came where Mom quit coming and tucking me in bed, and I would put myself to bed. I still found myself, all through my teen years, praying for my future spouse. Angela and I had been dating quite seriously for a while. 
I believe we were either engaged or very close to engagement. And I shared this with her. When I did, she began to weep. Angela was not raised in a Christian home. Her mom, was, uh, her mom raised her in a Catholic church. She went to a private Methodist school that was more secular than, than spiritual. She didn't hear the gospel until she was well into her adult years. Angela grew up going to places that were not Christ-honoring. She grew up hanging around friends that were not spiritual on any level. And there were a couple of times where Angela was put in a compromised position where she should have been taken advantage of and hurt. And at the time that it happened, she didn't understand why she wasn't. With tears in her eyes, sitting down on a bench near the lake at the college we went to, she looked at me and she said, there were at least one event, occasion, where I should have been taken advantage of and hurt. And for some reason I wasn't. And now I know why I wasn't. It was because you were praying for me. The power of prayer. Two of us married as, as pure virgins on our wedding day. Why? Because she had a husband and her husband, or her future husband had a mother who was teaching her to pray for, and the praise isn't to me, it's to my mother uh, who pushed me to do that. Pray with your children. It's a tool you have. And I don't mean just pray to bless the food and, and pray, uh, 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 lay me down to sleep poem. I mean pray diligently with your children. Dad, the sermon to you is just as much more so to you than it is to uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the moms here today, although definitely moms, you can pull some things out. And I would say to you, uh, 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 Dad, when was the last time your children had caught you on your knees in prayer talking to the Lord and, and calling down from heaven and, and, and trying to get hold of God? When was the last time you and your son got down on your knees together and you prayed together. The power of prayer. We're talking about having the right resources, the right tools in the tool bag to raise your children up right. You're going to have as much luck raising children in this world as I had taking that futon apart without tools. Unless you get the right tools, you can't have success. Letter A, we see the Bible. Letter B, we see prayer. Letter C, we see church. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. The Bible goes on to say, But so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many believe that Jesus could come back at any moment? How many, how many believe that this morning? i got to say, I believe it. Look, I would love if Jesus come back right now, rapture us all to heaven. i got some things in my life I'd probably clean up if I knew He was coming back uh, uh, in ten minutes. I'd probably quickly confess them. Uh, but I try to keep my, my accounts uh, short with the Lord, and, and I definitely want to uh, make sure my heart is completely ready to go when He comes. And we don't know when that day and hour is, but all in all, I am ready to go. All in all, I'm ready to see my Jesus and have that sin nature removed from me. Listen, I don't know if He's going to come back today. He could. But one thing I know for certain, I'm a day closer to it today than I was yesterday. According to that verse, the coming back, the closer I get to it, the more I'm supposed to be in church. Can I get really, really, really serious with you moms and dads today? Can you look up that here? Look up here at me. Listen, I'm not here to hate on you. I'm not here to be mean to you. Some of you only come on Sunday mornings. 
And to that I say thank you for coming on Sunday mornings. Very thankful for that. But do you know that you need all the help you can get to raise your children right in this dark hour? And this church is here to be a resource to you to help you to raise your family right. You say, Pastor, what are you getting at? You need to have your children here on Sunday mornings, but you need to have them back on Sunday nights and you need to have them here on Wednesday nights. You need to be here every chance you get. And by the way, it's not just enough uh, that, that, uh, that it isn't just enough that you come once in a while. You gotta be faithful with it. You say, but Sunday evenings, that's my family time. Listen, there's no better quality family time than having your boy or your little girl sit down the aisle at you and look up at dad and see dad worshiping Jesus. That shows your child that there's a God in heaven and that you revere him. I grew up in a home where I basically lived at church. Our family time was church. My dad was a school administrator and every, every summer I helped him paint walls and pull weeds and, and, and strip, and strip and wax floors and, 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 and repaint the gym and I, it was always something, moving tables and chairs. If I had a dollar for every table and chair I moved into church, I think I would either be a millionaire or I would be very close to it. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I have moved a lot of tables and chairs in my day and I gotta say that the more I'm at church, the more I love it. This is a resource for you to help you raise your children right. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more and more we ought to want to be here. Number one, we see that action number one, we see that we need to provide restraint. Action number two, provide resources. Action number three, we must provide right relationships. We must provide right relationships. If you provide restraint and you provide resources but you don't provide right relationships, then it all means nothing. means nothing. You've got to make sure you protect the heart of your child. Let me read for you a verse here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says this, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. What do we have here? We have three generations Three generations of godliness. Three generations, one passed down to the other, passed down to the other. Why? Because of right relationships. You know who you, you know who you are? Can I tell you who you are today? You are the sum total of the books you've read, the television programs you've watched, and the friends that you have kept. That's who you are. The books you've read, the television programs you've watched, and the friends that you have kept. That is who you are. Now, what books are your children reading? Be careful what you let them read. This fiction stuff that's out there, this romance stuff that's out there, keep, your, keep an eye on that. Keep your kids away from that stuff. Put good materials in their hands. I think your children ought to read. But just because your child's reading, and by the way, this is something really important for me to say, because we're coming up on the summer months, and children will bury themselves in a book in their room. There are children that do that. I wasn't one of those, but there are children that do that. And I have watched children pick up really awful books, and their parents take the attitude, well, my child's reading, so it's all good. That's a good thing. Listen, reading is a good thing, but reading the right thing is what, what has to happen. Reading books, what television programs are your children reading? And what friends are they keeping? Let me give you an A, B, and a C under here, and we'll wrap it up. I'm almost done. Letter A, notice grandparents. Grandparents, thank God. Thank God for the influence of godly, wise grandparents. Listen, by and large, your work of parenting is done. You invested in your kids, 
And now they're grown adults and they're having their own families. But guess what happens when they get, you get asked to watch them? You get to make an investment in them. I don't think you need to undermine your, your children as parents. I don't think you need to go against what they're saying. But there's nothing wrong with bouncing a little grandbaby on your knee and teaching them a, a song, about the, a, a Sunday school song, or teaching them a Bible verse, and talking to them about the things of the Lord, and witnessing to them and making sure that they're saved. Be that godly influence in their life. And you know what you get to do? You get to say, hey, let's memorize a verse and then let's go eat some ice cream. Let, let's let's uh, let's sing a song and then uh, and then and then let's go have some cookies and milk. Let's let's take you out shopping and get you a new pair of gym shoes and you get to spoil them while you while you love on them. You get to bribe them a little bit. Parents don't always get to do that. Letter A, grandparents. Letter B, notice mothers. Mothers. Now the sermon today is a Father's Day sermon, but let me just get this quickly in here for you you moms today, ladies. It is wise to note that. You moms instill the character in the boys that will one day turn around and rule the world. Another way I could say this is this. Moms' principles rule the world. Do you have any principles, moms? You have principles, right? Instill those in your kids. Let me give you another way to say it. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Invest in your kids. Love on your kids. Listen, they spit up on you. They throw up on you. Everybody liquid possible lands on you. You're tired. They pull on you. Love on them. Invest in them. Teach them. Be a woman of character and teach them character. Letter C, we see fathers, talking about right relationships, fathers. Back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we looked at it in the introduction, we'll look at it again right here and we'll shut the sermon down. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The average dad, according to one, one article I read, the average dad has a total of 2.7 encounters with his child each day. Each encounter, check this out, each encounter on average lasts 15 seconds. 15 seconds. That's less than a minute a day most dads invest in their children. Can we work to be above average? Can we work to be above average? Can you make sure you invest in your kids? Just to be totally honest with you, there are weeks here, and and I'm not complaining, I'm just making a larger point here. There are weeks here where the church yanks on me pretty hard. I'm helping this person carry this burden and this person carry that burden. And I've got these appointments in the morning and I've got these appointments late in the evening and maybe I have a deacon's meeting that runs late and, and the deacons, they, they, they invest in that too. And, and listen, I'm sure it makes them weary the next day. And I get down to Thursday evening and Friday evening of some weeks and I pull my car up in the driveway after a long day of work and, and carrying emotional load on my shoulders and counseling people and, and sermon prep and everything else. And I'm mentally exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. And I pull up in the driveway and I walk in the front door of the house and I got, I got four arms and, and four eyeballs, four arms wrapped around me and four eyeballs looking up at me, smiling. You know, I gotta tell you, there are times where I'm tired. But you know what those little two children need? They need their daddy to get down on the floor and play with them. 
They need their daddy to make it a time investment in them. On my way home, I've got a point I cross. You guys going down 95 north, you know right there before you get to West Haven, you've got that uh, oasis, that McDonald's uh, mobile uh, area. That's about seven minutes from my house, uh, uh, my current house. When I drive past that, that's the place where I slip out of pastor mode and into daddy mode and uh, in husband mode. And I turn that on and I say, when I get home, my wife needs me. My kids need me. And you've got to do the same thing. You gotta love on those kids. You gotta spend time with those kids. You gotta make a time investment in those kids. And they've gotta see a daddy that is spiritual, a daddy that loves them, that's going to nurture them and admonish them. This morning, how do you spell love? How do kids spell love? They spell it T-I-M-E. Let me finish with this quote. Someone said this, they said, tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I'll remember. Involve me and I'll understand. Write that down if you're taking notes this morning. Tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I'll remember. Involve me and I'll understand. You can tell your child. You can show your child. Involve your child. Involve them. When you change the oil to the car, let them change it with you. They might get in your way, let them change it with you. You're uh, changing your brake pads or you're changing a flat tire... Involve them. You're, uh, you're doing other things around, involve them. You're reading your Bible, involve them. You're praying, involve them. You're serving the Lord at church, involve them. Why? Because children spell love, T-I-M-E. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning.